Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor but enthusiastic primary teachers. Join us as we delve into the murky depths of education in an attempt to help you enhance your classroom practice. In today's episode, I, Neil Armand, will be taking the reins... Welcome to Thinking Deeply by Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Neil Almond. Good to be back, Kieran. This week, we're going to explore the potential of artificial intelligence and the impact it might have on the work of teachers. But first, Neil, what are you reading for? What are you reading for? So I was recommended a book called um, Spelling, Structure and Strategies by Paul and Jean Hanna and Richard uh, Hodges. It's quite an old book, 1971, quite a, so it's getting on just over 50 years old now. Uh, quite enjoyable in the sense that it's um, affirming many of the the biases that I have into how I think we should teach spelling which uh, on one hand is really good and on another hand you know not so great. Um, what was interesting about this one though is that they were kind of the first people there was a study and I had no idea about this they did a study in the 60s and you know used the all the computing power that you know we had back in the 60s uh, you know which obviously was enough to put a man on the moon so fair amount of it um, to really kind of study the the structure of the English language. And so they're kind of the main appeal for, for this book for me was around that structure element because they've kind of, in a very basic way, it would have to be updated uh, for the modern era. Um, it's kind of revealed the statistical properties of the English language. So you could teach children to a high degree percentage that if this sound, um, the sound ow was in the end position, then there was a, I'm making this statistic up, something like a, a 95% chance that it's spelt um, OW. And that's kind of something that has always kind of interested me and is something that I felt has been missing from uh, spelling uh, instruction, that kind of making that statistical element uh, explicit to um, students as quickly as possible. So yeah, haven't finished it yet, but really enjoyed kind of going through it and kind of gives me hope that there'll be some researchers out there who will create a larger corpus than the 17,000 words I think that they used when they did this. Ideally, hopefully British uh, English spelling as well. And obviously with more computing power, stronger algorithms, uh, you know, we'll be able to, you know, produce something more up to date so we'll see what about you what are you reading for nice just the 50 years have passed yeah so i mean yeah. might be implemented in classrooms any day and i <laughs> <laughs> i've got a maths one for balance it was shared with me i think oh um brendan lee shared it 
It's called The Need for Speed, Why Fluency Counts for Maths Learning by Tony Hattenrop. Very interesting read. I won't give away too many spoilers, but I'm sure you can probably guess what the, <laughs> sort of the, the main takeaways are. But uh, yeah, well, well worth checking out. So I think probably, Neil, it was around about this time last year that you introduced me to OpenAI. And in that in those 12 months, a lot has happened. The rest of the world has tried to catch up with you. It's obviously your, your trailblazer in terms of artificial intelligence. So I thought we'd sit down and we'd look at what this might mean for teachers, because there are plenty of snake oil merchants who are looking to make a fast buck off the back of this and risk. I promise I'm not one of them. Well, no, you, you have no skin in the game. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, the, 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 the charlatans aren't there. Uh, they're not teachers. Um, so I'm not commenting on any educators here in, in this operating in this field, but rather you can see the promoted tweets on Twitter and stuff like that. There are words like, you know, you know, I'm sure people have seen them and, um, you know, so like reskinning chat GTP, I don't know. Am I am I offending any yeah, teacher? No, it's, no, no, you're fine. Um, I say it's eighty percent of my Twitter feed now is just these, yeah, promoted accounts that are telling me that I could earn thousands of dollars in side hustles if I just learned how to do these five things in Chat GPT or Dolly or Mid Journey, and yeah, it's uh, it's a pain for my Twitter feed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So I thought we'd explore it because there must be some value because there's a whole lot of money being invested in this and uh, around the world. But it makes sense to start with definitions of what we're talking about. What is artificial intelligence? Okay, so AI kind of, for me, it's this, the study of using data in ridiculously large uh, quantities to attempt to program intelligent machines that mimic human-like behavior. That's my uh, the definition that I'm kind of um, going for here. Obviously, the purpose of it, I guess, is to improve how quickly, accurately, and successfully um, it, it can complete tasks that we may ask you know, humans to do. Right now, we're kind of seeing the beginnings of that sort of journey and attempt to mixed success, I think is is fair to say. I mean, when I think of artificial intelligence, I think of, was it Deep Blue? The chess player robot? Yeah. That, um, that taught itself essentially through running through millions and millions of different games, how to play chess to the point where it was unbeatable was that was it deep blue i mean i know they, they put deep in front of <laughs> put deep in front of everything the reason it's called deep blue is that particular sort of so ai is like a bit of like a good like umbrella term for lots of other kind of other techniques that are ai but there is definitely a sort of like hierarchy to them so ai is sort of the the holding concept the overall sort of umbrella and then you kind of have things like uh you know, machine learning, which is a method of making predictions um, with that doesn't sort of use predetermined human coded rules. And that kind of analyzes vast volumes of data to find patterns, and then kind of construct a model. So that's kind of your 
large language model-esque type of uh, ideas. You also then have, as you kind of mentioned there, the, this kind of deep, and that's kind of like this deep learning. Um, and what they try to do with deep learning is that, again, it's a subset of AI, where they are literally trying to kind of feed and create this kind of neural network that, you know, effectively learns by itself. And so that's where that chess element comes from. So anything that kind of has deep blue, deep mind, anything like that, is kind of using this kind of deep learning kind of process that uses artificial neural networks to try and get it to comprehend and understand and attempt to reason, but not always very well. Uh, what they should and shouldn't be doing at various points, which is why I say they can analyze all that data and make those predictions, because that's all they are. And that's a kind of really important thing to remember uh, when we're talking about AI, particularly sort of generative um, AI, is that it's just a, a massive prediction machine. And that has massive ramifications for how you should treat the kind of information that it, um, you know, the outputs that it then provides you because they're not necessarily searching the internet for accurate information. Everything that it creates is new in the sense that it hasn't necessarily been written and copyrighted previously. So, but it can sound really convincing and the terms of what you want it to give which can make it seem like oh well you must have you know picked this up from the internet or you know i've asked you for paragraph three chapter four and war and war and peace uh, and i want you to summarize that and then it kind of gives a really what you would assume you know curatish well not necessarily accurate plausible idea what that actually could be where um in actual fact, you know, it sounds like it could be summarizing it, but the reality is, is that it's just made something completely up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important distinction there, yeah, because I was almost conflating machine learning with artificial intelligence. That's not quite the case. Um, no, machine learning is a, a subset of yeah. AI. It's a type of AI, but it's not the same thing. And machine learning has been around for, yeah ages on our phone you know machine learning is the kind of stuff that like i don't know if you you're probably you know far much far much more of a life than i do but i like making sure that if i take photos of people that my phone like tells me who those people are so if i wanted to find all the photos that i've had of you that are in my phone i could just search for kieran mackle and it would kind of show me all the photos that i that it thinks is you now you kind of start training that model um, then eventually it kind of gets to learn who you are. And so, you know, every now and then it just pops up saying, hey, here's, you know, five new photos of of you and Kieran Mackle. That's kind of like machine learning. That's it, kind of learning from that data that you kind of feed it to kind of get to know you. And so the phone, well, iPhones, I'm sure Google are doing the same as well. You know, that kind of feature has been there for, for ages. So, so, yeah, machine learning, nothing kind of new. Um, you know, it's not something that's just brand new to market such the the newish side of it is this idea of it being you know, these generative AI tools this idea of you can prompt it with various things and then it kind of gives you a an output which could either be a, a text 
output or an image output, depending on which AI tool you are choosing to use. My phone does that. Sometimes it does it for me or it feels like it's done it for me. I've actually yeah. been tra training mine to identify me as someone else in case I ever need to be extracted. And then they'll, they'll have my records and they'll, 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 who's this guy? <laughs> is artificial intelligence likely to change the way that teachers work? I don't know if this will be a surprising answer or not, but I actually don't think it's going to necessarily fundamentally change the way that we work. I think it's just going to support teachers in how they do the work that they currently need to do. I don't think for a, you know, a whole myriad of reasons um, that, you know, we're going to automate a lot of the things that we would like to automate from a data GDPR perspective, from a cost perspective. I don't think it's kind of with anywhere near that yet, but what I do think it will do is kind of, you know, be the sort of digital teaching assistant to the teacher. I can't say teaching assistant, otherwise we might get confused what we mean. So it's definitely assistance to the teacher. Um, I kind of think the way that it kind of, the best way that's going to kind of help is if we think about the Pareto principle, so, you know, 20% of the efforts deliver 80% of the results. Like the hardest place to start is obviously that first, like 20% of that 20%. Like when you're there with like a blank sheet of paper, because you have to do a fill in a form or you have to sort of write a risk assessment for a trip or, you know, plan a lesson. And you're just there with that kind of blank sheet of paper for ideas you know, that first 20% of that 20% is really hard. And I kind of think that what generative AI can kind of really help us with is to kind of provide that launching point to kind of help us with that first 20% of the 20% that delivers the 80% of the output, if that makes sense, um, which is the hardest part. But just by giving us that kind of launch pad, get those ideas flowing, I think it's going to be really, you know, quite useful in that regard to teachers because I say it kind of gives them that that first could be that first step or you know just you know a couple of ideas that could you know be what they need to then you know get into a state of flow so that they can kind of finish off whatever task and activity that they need to do so yeah I don't think it's going to massively change what teachers do but I think it will change sort of how teachers um, are going to do it particularly I think with things like and again depends on budgets and data protection and things like that but Google services they're starting to integrate uh, BARD which is Google's large language model uh, Microsoft has Copilot, which is their large language model, and all of these, and this kind of assistant, for want of a better word, can talk to your Office app. So Copilot can talk to Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, uh, OneNote, whatever it may be. Bard the same for um, the Google equivalent, and so what it would really do is kind of really support teachers bringing all the information 
that kind of sit separately within those individual applications and bring them together and being able to kind of compile that information together and you know produce some sort of output so you might have uh, for example a teacher planning a, a, a let's stick with planning a school trip so she might want to ask co-pilot i want you to bring up or kind of uh, show me everything that I've done so far to um, support the school trip to uh, the Tower of London. And so the email that she sent to the to SLT um, asking for the trip would come up automatically. The uh, the Word document that she that put together for the letter would come up. The PowerPoint presentation that she's done for the parents to explain the purpose of the trip and you know how they can support and all that stuff will come up and obviously then you can kind of you know combine all of that data that's in those particular documents uh you know to potentially then create something you know quite powerful and so i do feel that side of it that sort of digital admin assistant um you know that could actually probably you know again not change the way teachers work but change how teachers need to do the work that they need to do. Um, however, as I mentioned previously, there's the whole thing about, well, how much this, does this, is this going to cost schools extra? And obviously, as we're talking about, you know, young children here, you know, you need to give co-pilot access to effectively your Microsoft account. Um, and so if you are a complete Microsoft school, that is all the data that you may hold on children and uh, whatever else within those different applications. Those then need to go off to a Microsoft server um, for you know, Copilot to do the things that it needs to do. And obviously, you know, there are massive implications then if anything, you know, does go awry. But that is definitely, I think, one way that I think will save teachers time from that kind of admin side of it and that kind of aggregation of all this data that teachers accumulate or maybe it's just me and I just accumulate lots of emails about different things and you know my filing system of organizing things has never been you know as I would like it to be I'm I'm no Adam Smith with um his notion and things like that um but you know I think it could help teachers with that regard and I think that's not the reason teachers come into school so anything that helps them to that side of it, which means that they can focus more on their teaching. Uh, I don't want to go as far as saying that there's probably like a moral reason there that schools should be looking into this. Um, because by going down that avenue, they're opening up more kind of uh, ethical issues. But I definitely think exploring such avenues, particularly in this current climate, is something that, you know, schools, large trusts, the DfE should should be considering. I think it sounds really interesting. I would love that as a teacher to have something that would help me structure my personal organization. A lot of the a lot of the early conversations about artificial intelligence seems to allude to the outsourcing of thinking. And obviously the main theme of the podcast is that thinking is the most important thing teachers can do. Are you saying that there's no way that artificial intelligence will ever take the thinking out of teaching, you know, and, and, you know, hey, Bard, I want a lesson plan on, I don't know, rock and Romans. 
Is that that day ever going to come? Yeah, that day will come, but I don't necessarily classify that as the AI doing the the thinking for you. Uh, as I say, you know, I would be amazed if anyone takes that, you know, puts that into a generative AI tool and you know doesn't then do anything with it. Um, as I say, you know, it starts off the thinking process. It gives you some ideas to to think about, but you know, fundamentally you know, you then have to think with that information. Again, the first port of, port of call, and it kind of comes back to a something that we'll discuss later on is, you know, you have to check for the accuracy. If you're using a large language model to do this, you know, you have to check for the accuracy. So if you, so my preferred way of doing it would be that you have, you know, quite a, tight curriculum in the terms of you're quite explicit as to what you want students to know so um let's say um keeping on the theme of rocking romans so you know caesar tried to invade in 55 he tried again in 54 um and he failed because um i think the weather was particularly bad something like that um in one of the invasions and the the Celtic tribes were able to kind of have a bit of a ceasefire between themselves to come together to defend the Romans. So let's say that's what you wanted out of that first lesson. If you told the AI that, you know, these are the parameters of my lesson, this is what I want kids to know, I want them to know that um, you know, Julius Caesar invaded 55, then 54, and then um, it failed. Uh, one of the reasons why the 54 um, invasion failed, or two reasons why the 54 invasion failed was because uh, the weather was against him, so he had to invade later than he originally planned. And the Celtic tribes of um, Britain at the time, uh, you know, came together to, um, you know, stand against him. Make me a lesson plan from that is going to be far more beneficial, far more effective, far more accurate because you, the teacher, are kind of, you know, narrowing those parameters for which this predictive model is going to be working from. So the output that it gives you is going to be far more accurate to what you need versus something like, hi, ChatGPT, I'm um, teaching a lesson on the Romans. Uh, it's for year three, um, you know, hit the button, go. Uh, because, you know, that's just going to deliver all sorts of weird and wonderful things with potential inaccuracies. So the more thinking that you do, actually, before you ask what you want, uh, the more useful the, that output is going to be in sort of a big, and that's kind of partly the reason why um, I've gone down this kind of like this prompt avenue, because I kind of really want to make people aware that this AI tools and technology is can be really effective, but it really is sort of that intersection between teacher expertise and your knowledge of how to provide a really useful prompt. It's not an outsourcing of teacher expertise, far from it. Now, will we ever get there though? I mean, you know, who knows, but right now we can't, we shouldn't. I, I was listening to a podcast and it was from a totally different field, but they were talking about AI. And they were saying that between now and April next year, there's going to be a massive explosion. You know, if we think about what 
the explosion that happened last October when the world became aware of this large language um, model. And then the 12 things that have happened in 12 months since then, I think this next, what, six months will yeah. be massive. So who knows what will be possible? But I really like the idea that it's going to take a lot of expertise in two domains now to actually get the most from it. And you can't just type in, I'm teaching fractions. Off you go. You know, there's my fractions plan. You know, that, that gives me some uh, reassurance. We're recording this on Monday, the 30th of October, 2023. Um, you know, this is probably going to be out of date before even, I don't know when you're planning on putting this one out there, but I would go likely before this gets put out to, uh, to listeners uh, and the elements of what I've said is probably going to be out of date already, which is just goes to show how fast moving, um, you know, this field really is. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned prompts. So you're alluding to the newsletter that you have started to release. So myself, uh, past participant on the show, Peps McRae, who I'm sure people um, will know from all his um, concise books, um, which make me think that perhaps they were mostly written by AI. I'm not sure yet. I haven't had the guts to uh, to ask him yet whether he was actually just using large language models to uh, write most of those, but um, I'm sure I'll ask him at some point. We kind of had this idea of putting this out there to help teachers navigate the, the murky waters of these generative AI um, tools that are out there. Obviously, we alluded to earlier the, the, the kind of the kind of Twitter bots that are appearing here, there, and everywhere, and other kind of various other you know AI tools that are marketed towards people using and seeing if we can provide a different avenue of support. Which um, I say it's predominantly through this idea of of prompting, which is where you most of these um, generative AI tools like chat gpt and uh, dolly mid journey whatever they may be uh, predominantly require on a text input um, and that's called your prompt and you know effectively the this entire sort of field has arisen recently called prompt engineering uh, which is effectively i'm really starting to not like the term but i'll use it because i can't think of another one but it's effectively the science of uh, how do we create effective prompts to make sure that the output that we then get from this generative AI uh, model uh, is what we envision that prompt to be? So as I said, the uh, you know, these are effectively prediction machines. So if we are really vague, you know, you say, I want a lesson plan on the Romans, you might well get a, uh, a lesson plan back that includes... Things like this is how you should support different learning styles, for example, which evidently, you know, we know is not a good use of our time, but clearly within the, the trained data sets, it has information about learning styles. And so because we were quite vague with our prompt, we, um, you know, it gave us back something. So the more we can kind of find the underlying structures and play around with those underlying structures of what effective prompting is, um, the higher quality the output, uh, effectively, and hopefully the more useful that it then is for teachers to to use in upcoming lessons or admin, for example. And so, yes, one of the ways that we 
started this uh, process is through our our weekly newsletter teacher prompts which is there to kind of upskill teachers not just in sort of prompts although it we try to make sure that it does do that uh it's kind of there just to give predominantly you know educators uh you know up-to-date news in the um ai world that sort of where possible sort of directly influences uh education so for example uh, two bits of news that will probably make it to tomorrow's newsletter is that um you know the government's just recently handed over oak two million uh to explore um ai use there um i've had a bit of a play with some of these tools already and you know they need work but i'm sure you know the more this is in front of teachers the more useful it's going to be and you can now upload if you purchase chat gpt plus to access the the gpt4 um model which is you know has more parameters is trained on more data uh more accurate um you can sort of now drop pdfs and other kind of uh files into it and it can then you know summarize and you can ask questions and interrogate it about that particular file that you've dropped in, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then we go in about, you know, what effective, you know, some effective prompts that will be useful for the teachers. Yeah. So every week, and I, I like that you always have, you know, in this, in this, I don't know, edition, in this, um, it's not episode, mm -hmm. you, you, you will find, and then you get like a couple of links and you've got, and this image. <laughs> yeah, always try to throw in a generative uh, AI image there just to, uh, uh, they're, they're quite good. I mean, you know, we had some good fun making some the other day, didn't we, in our little uh, little group chat of the weird and wonderful things that you could you could do with that. I really enjoyed the uh, the Up sequel. <laughs> Down. <laughs> but it was funny because you immediately, you could immediately get that sense that this was Up, that this was, you know, it was all themed on the idea of up and you know i'm not going to say what's you know holding me back from creating high quality educational resources has been my you know, poor graphic design ability but you know i'm far more inclined to you know give it a go now that i know i can just prompt uh dolly to give me a few you know, useful images to use. So yeah, it's going to be useful. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it does take some prompting because I gave it some lazy prompts and got some nonsense back. My best one were the, the Beatles, but they're a band called the Beatles, but they're actually Beatles. And then dishwasher has fallen. Dishwasher has fallen. It was a great one. They will put these, uh, when the episode goes out, we'll find them and people can have link them. them. Yeah. <laughs> Good shot. Yeah. I think it saves them. What's, what, what were we using? We were using Bard's image generator. Is that what it's called? We were using um, Bing. Bing, not Bard. Yeah, yeah Bard is Google. Bing is, Bing is Microsoft. Yeah. That's that search engine no one uses. Exactly. <laughs> so technology and education have a very interesting relationship. Sometimes yeah. millions of pounds can be spent in ways that were perhaps ill-advised. What are the chances that this AI revolution is smoke and mirrors like those other aspects of technology that have proven 
not to be as effective in a, I don't know, changing our practice or our ways of working. I mean, there's always the chance, isn't there? You know, we've seen it with, you know, interactive whiteboards were not the solution that we were sold. They would be one-to-one devices and iPads certainly haven't been the um, the thing that they've done. But the, the reason I feel like this is different, one, because you don't necessarily need, obviously there's a continuum here. Uh, you know, if you were to go, as I mentioned, you know, the whole virtual admin assistant via Bard or Copilot, and that's something that your school purchased as part of you know, the Microsoft license, then yes, obviously there is a likely to be an additional cost to that. But you can get in there, you know, without having to, without price being a barrier, you know, chat GPT 3.5 is free to use. Um, Bing is free to use as well. All you have to do is just make accounts for these things. And I feel as well, you know, the one-to-one iPads or one-to-one devices, the interactive whiteboards, all of that stuff, that was very much student facing uses of technology this sort of generative ai stuff yes you might put resources that you've created um through this in front of the pupils but it is very much all happening sort of you know in the background backstage as you were um you know it's the planning processes it's the that you know that deep thinking that we're doing before we get in front of the classroom and because of that element I think it will be different. I think because, I mean, the the irony is, you know, you know, I'm, 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 I'm no fan of, um, you know, Sunak, as you know. But I think we all laughed a couple of years ago when he said he was going to plow a bit of money into uh, AI, and we all sort of <laughs> and you know laughed at him. But um, you know, I think you know, credit where credit is due. You know, he was potentially right in that you know this is something that is going to really potentially you know support teachers and I think you know with their putting their money where their mouth is to a degree by giving you know uh, Oak National some funding to kind of explore this and Oak National are putting all their tools out there which is good and interesting so you know teachers are going to you know see this i I'm sure there are teachers who still don't know how to access these things and that these things exist, absolutely. But those teachers that know about interactive whiteboards, those teachers that know about large language models and generative AI, I bet they've played more with generative AI and what that can do for them than they ever did about, you know, let's have a look and see what what smart can do. You know, they found infinite cloner and thought, great, this is my job done. And I don't need uh, don't need anything else. So, yeah, this feels kind of different because price isn't necessarily a, a barrier to access. There are free versions that you can use. And because it's sort of it's not happening in the classroom, um, it's happening in that kind of planning stage. You know, I think that there is more scope for this to be successful than previous elements of technology but again all it would take is one massive data breach then the whole you know counter cars to come crumbling down somehow so yeah got to be careful with it um i think it has more chance than previous tech endeavors but 
um, as I say, it's certainly not infallible by any means. If it's used in the way that you describe, it could be used. I think there's a fairly good chance that, it, yeah, it could be. There is, I mean, I think I mentioned this, I can't remember which episode it was. There is a quite a large, I think it's a charity organization that's involved in the education of other people. Of, um, and their investment in AI has been trying to get the, the computer or the program to give feedback on misconceptions and things like that there. It feels like that's the kind of thing, I mean, you would need a whole lot of information to make an accurate prediction about what the misconception was or why the error had formed. Do you reckon there's, you know, is that indicative of how people in, you know, Silicon Valley at the minute, maybe a little bit further beyond, are are funneling their investment in education and AI? Or do you think it is as as a sort of an assistant to the regional manager? It's <laughs> a good question. One I haven't really thought about. I would say the former, purely on you know, no data or any you know smart hypothesis behind it other than you know in silicon valley you know data data is king there's that running joke where if you don't pay for a service uh you know you are you are the you are the you are the product um which is why i always pay for you know pay for apple and try to avoid google wherever possible um, that's my biases coming in there. And so the more data you have, the more valuable data is, the more it can be used to target at specific things. And, you know, we've got no idea how advertisers are somehow going to find their mitts into all of this data and do stuff with it to try to target more ads at you in a more kind of specific fashion. But it's evidently, you know, in the past, it's paid off having as much data about as many people as you can. So you can sort of generate, you know, rough profiles on who these people are, what they're likely to be into, who they're likely to vote for, and, you know, all that sort of real semi-conspiracy Cambridge Analytica sort of stuff that you can kind of get into. I mean, we don't have the legal backing to navigate this storm that uh, is potentially <laughs> brewing here. So perhaps we'll say, yes, I, I see what you mean, because, yeah, um, lots of tech geniuses try to get involved in education in different ways to varying degrees of, of success. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how they go. I mean, what's really clear is that over the last 12 months, you've spent a lot of time exploring this field and getting to know this field because the you know the, the the quality of your answers today absolutely blow my mind well maybe maybe it speaks to how little i've properly engaged with this but you know i've learned a lot about how this actually might be you know my skepticism is being eroded gradually um with every response and so it's really clear you spend a lot of time thinking about this and how we can get the most of it what are three things all teachers need to know about? You think, yeah, these are the three sort of products, not maybe not even products, but types of product that you should be spending your time reading about now to get ahead of the curve or even just to catch up. <laughs> um, okay, I'll do three and then a bonus one. 
Um, so for the teacher, if you were to go sort of one, um, one tool to rule them all sort of thing, one place to go. Um, so there are must be hundreds of startups starting up sort of every every day. But if I think, you know, you really can't go, it's, it feels so weird saying this, but you really can't go wrong with Microsoft Bing as uh, your kind of best free at the point of use generative AI tool for text and images. All you need is a Microsoft account and you get, you know, effectively, effectively, you know, unlimited you know, conversations with this AI chatbot that you can use to create lesson plans, create quizzes, um, think of explanations, get thinking about analogies, generate interesting images that you might want to use in, in lessons, uh, for example. Uh, the reason why chat, um, why Bing is particularly uh, effective and useful is because uh, Microsoft have plowed a lot of money into open AI. And so Bing uh, is hooked into the chat GPT-4 backend. So it's using the most up-to-date, um, certainly the most popular uh, large language model to generate um, text and images because it uses the recently updated um, Dolly 3 model to help with images as well. Um, if you usually go through open um, AI themselves to get access to ChatGPT for, I think it's something like 20 quid a month, I think. So, you know, you can save yourself a lot of money straight away there by just doing it all through all through Bing. They're not quite the same. They're also going to, you know, tweak and style it quite differently. But, you know, effectively, and this is kind of uh, an, an important point, as well kind of buried within this one is that on any AI tool that comes up um, or that you may come across, you know, have a look and see what it's large language model it's using to draw its data from, because if it's using the same backend, you can probably get the same answer using a free version. It may not look as pretty, um, but what you actually ask for the content is, you know, I would say, you know, 90, 95% going to be um, the same. So if you haven't used any tools yet and you don't know where to start, or you've perhaps used ChatGPT um, 3.5, the free version, um, I, I would definitely say it's worth having a go at looking at um, Microsoft Bing because, as I say, it's free and has the most up-to-date uh, models that it draws upon. So that's definitely going to be um, high up there. Um, linked to this, so these are all nicely linked together. Um, the kind of second thing is that there are two classes of sort of AI tools um, sort of out there right now. Um, these are names that I've kind of given them. They're not ubiquitous by any sense of the imagination, but there's a sort of um, a closed AI tool. And what I mean by that is that the prompt is effectively um, invisible from you. And all you will be asked to do is input some information. So the stuff that um, Oak have put out recently, um, that's a good example of a closed um, AI tool because all you do is ask for what year group, subject, any particular topic that you want, which you can input yourself. Um, you press enter 
and sort of, you know, um, there you go. Um, it kind of brings you back something. And there are, you know, some advantages to that. Um, one is that it's, you know, quick and easy. The, the user doesn't have to learn how to do effective um, prompting. And as I say, it's quick and easy, but there are sort of some downsides to that in that it doesn't sort of offer a, a serve and return type interface. So what you're given is what you get. You can't necessarily go back and tell the AI, oh, I don't really like question four. Can you please um, change that to something else? Or oh, I really wanted you to include the Normans started building castles quite quickly when they um, invaded in 1066. You've missed that. Can you please um, put that in your explanation? So you can't kind of do that. So it kind of really kind of limits you. It gets you there quickly, um, but sort of really limits you as to what you can do. Uh, the other type, which is the type of tool that Bing is, that ChatGPT is, that Dolly is, um, is what I kind of call um, open tools in that you need to then provide that prompt. Um, so you're in complete control as to what that prompt should be. And again, some advantages, disadvantages are, is that, well, you're not limited to the type of requests. So loads of these tools, the way they sort of, um, they'll usually say, oh, you know, we have a lesson planner tool, a quiz creator tool, and you can have that for free. But if you want the assembly creator tool and you want the school improvement plan tool, then, you know, it's, you know, $6.99 a month, you know, extra, whatever it is. If they're using chat GPT for, you know, you don't need to worry about any of that because you can control the prompt yourself. Um, so you can just ask for those things because all of those, what those types of um, applications and tools are doing are just effectively keeping that prompt hidden from you. If you have good prompting engineering, um, you know, you'll be able to get, you know, probably 80% of what they um, give back to you. So that's why it's good because you can prompt for anything that you want. You're only limited by what you yourself can think of. Uh, you have complete control of what that input is. A big bugbear of mine is that, and this goes on to my next thing that teachers should know, but because most of these things are trained on American data and sort of American and they have, you know, biases built, in, built into them, you know, a lot of the output is going to be American English. So like my favorite ending of a prompt is always say the output must be in British English. Um, you know, small, tiny thing, but it's going to you know, save you a bit of time. Can't do that with the other ones unless behind the scenes, they've also coded for that it must be in British English, but you will never know that until you, you know, got a prompt but put your information in and got uh, some data out it does allow for that kind of serve and return so if i put a prompt in and it comes back with something that i don't like i can quickly say hey i really liked this bit this bit this bit but i'd really appreciate it if you included this so you can kind of then sort of you know narrow down what you want and really narrow your focus it develops for the teacher expertise in prompting so they actually understand the underlying features and structures of what you know, and their mental models of what this technology is and how it's going to work best for them. Um, something that doesn't necessarily happen with these uh, closed tools. And let's say going back to what we said, um, you know, is this going to get rid of our thinking? It's definitely not because the user in these open tools can use their own expertise of their subject phase, the curriculum to guide these large language models to the output that kind of best suits their context. And so don't necessarily get that again with that um, closed sort of tools. Now, obviously there are some disadvantage to this one as well. 
um, there is a big learning gap. You have to kind of learn how to prompt and what effective prompts are, and that takes time. And so obviously that's then going to perhaps impede how quickly you get started with this. If you don't feel successful straight away in generating what you want, you might feel a bit disheartened and not motivated to give it a go. Um, but I think the initial effort is worth the the outcome by using. Um, and again, you know, all biased here. I have a newsletter that kind of tries to teach you how to do this open um, style um, use of AI tools. But I think in the long run, um, you know, it's better for teachers to to use that than you know some of these closed tools. Um, and the kind of the third thing. Um, again, we've kind of talked about this before, but is really important is that it's not always right. So you may think that you've delivered something, got something back that's, you know, perfect. I think I saw something recently on, on Twitter about someone who wanted some descriptions of, I think it was like Gothic castles or something like that. And she wanted it from, from Dracula. So, you know, she wrote I mean, again a prompt of you know to try and get that information back and chat gpt whatever she used brought back an excellent description of a gothic castle in a relative style that i as a as a novice in gothic literature would not be able to say well that's definitely not um you know bram stoker but um you know one of the first comments was hey you know that's actually like not the description that's used in uh Dracula, right? And you know, that was a surprise to her. So it's never right because it's not connected to the internet necessarily. It is just a prediction device. It will be really, you know, it's what do they always say? Like as long as you say anything with enough confidence, like you'll they'll anyone will believe anything. Like it is literally like that incarnate. It's so good at making you think that what it's producing is the right thing. And on the, you know, it's trained on data, um, you know, human created texts, um, and humans have biases that will have implications for the output of that data. And so you really kind of have to check and make sure that, you know, one, it's accurate, and second of all, that you know humans' natural cognitive biases aren't necessarily uh drawn out of that output as well because you could get yourself in a bit of trouble i think if you don't check for that one as well and you do end up producing text that may provide a, a certain interpretation that you know you believe something that you, you know, or you've provided some data or some information uh you know to pupils that isn't necessarily correct because it is you know the, the data was biased so it's produced a biased output and the kind of the bonus one, obviously, is that teachers should definitely sign up to uh, teacher prompts uh, newsletter um, because that will definitely tell you everything that you need to know. I'm currently working on a beginner's guide to uh, AI and like Peps did with um, evidence snacks, um, you know, if you refer, I think it's going to literally be like if you refer, refer two people to this, um, you know, you'll get the guide. If you refer six people, you'll get the uh, the basic image um, guide as well. So that's uh, that's my half-term job. So I'm hoping that will be done by, definitely not by uh, tomorrow, but hopefully next week.
once everyone's given it the okay, um, that'll be available there as well for people to use. I love the I love the yeah the incentivized um sort of thing. Yeah, and I remember speaking perhaps about him sort of just watching him with his chapter from his upcoming book and stuff like that. So that, I think that's a really interesting way to encourage engagement. And I'm looking forward. I mean, I am excited about the potential for artificial intelligence just off the back of this, what, about an hour's conversation. So, I'm, you know, whenever we finish up, I'm going away and I'm going to try and read as much about engineer, prompt engineering, engineering. as I possibly can. You know, what, what do you do for a job? Well, I'm a prompt engineer, you know. <laughs> they say it's going to be a very highly valuable uh profession don't i think that is probably you know the jobs of tomorrow kind of brigade going a little bit too far but it's definitely an interesting interesting avenue yeah i mean if there's one thing i've learned since starting my own business recently is that if there's anything that could make your life easier someone's got that corner of the market sewn up already so <laughs> if you want to save yourself some <laughs> some money <laughs> And get exactly what you need, and then I think the yeah, prompt engineer is going to be really, really important for getting the most of them from from artificial intelligence. What's your bold prediction for the next twelve months? The outputs from these models are only going to be as good as the data that the model uses to learn from, and Oak National are. Uh, because all of their resources are open source, effectively, large language models can comb everything that Oak has, will create. And so that means that there is going to be, you know, models um, that are trained specifically on education data um, and specifically education data of the, you know, the 2014 National Curriculum for England. And so as uh, you know, working in education in England, if you have models that are trained specifically on that data, that's going to be, you know, particularly useful for teachers. And that's where whatever Oak do next could be really quite interesting over the next 12 months. So I think a uh, bold prediction there is to kind of keep an eye out on what Oak are doing, because they're going to produce something I think that could be really useful and valuable um to teachers i hope they open it up so it's not just a kind of a closed tool um but having it specifically trained on having it specifically trained on education today so that's completely relevant to you know teachers in england is going to be quite a powerful thing but they're going to open that, that data up to other models as well so you know it may not just be oak that has access to all of that the biggest weakness that i found in generative image creation right now is that it is spectacularly poor at educational diagrams so if i want were to ask it to create a show me a bar model of you know four times six or you know here's the you know, here's a word problem show me a bar model that goes with that can't do it um so i'm kind of confident in the next 12 months well, I feel not confident. I don't know insider knowledge, but I feel like it's an easy win for them. To, like, if you nail the educational diagram, you're going to make a lot of teachers very happy. If I can just say, you know, consider the split attention effect and create a simple diagram of the water cycle aimed for pupils in, you know, year four um, who are in the, you know, studying the English uh, curriculum. And I might say, you know, it must include 
you know, evaporation, condensation, runoff, whatever else you want it to include, enter, and then it produces a useful graphic that takes into account the split attention effect. So it's not key in the corner, it's, you know, um, labeled where it needs to be. And I don't have to worry about the copyright of that. That's going to be really powerful for teachers. Um, same way for, you know, you and your math journey. I'm sure if you could say, you know, I want you to show them this model using algebra tiles or you know, Cuisinaire rods, whatever it might be, and you could get generative AI to do that. Um, you know, that'd be really powerful. I've told Johnny, you know, he needs to get in that market really, really quickly, um, make it happen because um, no one's doing it right now. And kind of the bigger, the next kind of prediction is that I do kind of think, um, you know, I think more teachers are going to just keep on using it and find interesting ways to, you know, make it work and make it, make it work for them, make it useful and hopefully cuts down a little bit on their on their teacher workload and if I can play but a but a small part in that for what is for me you know a hours work on a weekend to put that newsletter together um I'll be a happy man yeah if because at the minute well, obviously we made those movie posters we know that it currently struggles with um words so there are some hurdles to overcome before yep. diagrams and models are a realistic prospect but yeah but imagine being able to sort of put in the prompt and then you would have that representation ready for you i think it would open up a lot of doors so fingers crossed i mean obviously no more marking are sort of considering how they can get the most from it so it'd be interesting to see what happens with their because they've got a massive data set on which to train and stuff i don't know your your reaction seems to think that they haven't started exploring this and have we just discussed that they should explore this or i thought no, they they're doing know. they're doing some interesting stuff no more marking obviously you know daisy is a is an intellectual powerhouse um and she's very good at getting rid of the the rub finding finding the bits of gold within all the all the nonsense that are out that's out there right now and they do some yeah they do they do good stuff Cool. Well, like I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I think I've learned a lot. I am excited about the next 12 months. Really looking forward to seeing what happens. I'm definitely going to read more. I'm going to sort of pick your brain offline for where are you going for your information firsthand because the minute I'm getting <laughs> it from, from guys who are financially incentivized for this to be a success, you know, so they're all very much in Palo Alto and, and the surrounding suburbs and and have, uh, you know, have, have good skin in the game. You know, they're not in education fields, but, you know, they're incentivized to make sure that technology continues to develop and stuff. And so it'd be interesting to find out, you know, because I doubt research papers exist, you know, because it's happening in real time, so to speak. You know? I'd be surprised if you go on to, um, if you go on to our, our lit maps, there, there's a, there's an area, <laughs> there's a, a thing that I check every now and then about chat GPT and engineer prompting and stuff like that, that I kind of put together. Ethan. Uh, I think it's Mullick. He's um, he's a pretty sensible AI engineer, prompter, researcher chap. He's worth he's worth a follow on Twitter if you don't. He's got a Substack too, which is worth a worth a subscription to. And he's a tech guru. No, he's a teacher. At, uh, he's a a lecturer at a university in America. 
so he's not in the tech. He's a he's a one of us, not a not a tech guy. One of us, in, independent well, adjudicator. <laughs> independent adjudicator, absolutely. Nice, excellent. Well, I mean, to be continued, I think. Yeah, see you another twelve months. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, it could be some sort of robot hosting the show by then. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that's the other avenue. Yeah, we haven't explored the uh, the vocalization stuff yet, have we? No, that's for another time because I want to see how we can work that in. <laughs> <laughs> this episode never really happened. It was all just an AI voice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it struggles with my voice. It's got your it's got your voice down, Pat. Yeah, it does it pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, but it, it thinks I'm American. Well, wow. welcome to thinking deeply about primary education. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like me at all. No, that doesn't, to be fair. <laughs> All I have to do then is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Kieran. Appreciate it. And to everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening.